myself, but right now I'm joined by Councillor Aaron Hawkins, former Radio 1 breakfast host, of course, uh, along with many other jobs he had around this place. Good morning, Aaron. Kia ora, good morning. And, and, and uh, might I say, it's a huge honour to share the bill with Ian Anderson uh, <laughs> of Jethro Tull. Um, when I left working at the university, it was because I started. I had a Dorian Gray situation going on, and I felt really old mm-hmm. uh, working here at the university. Um, so I pivoted to a world where I felt relatively young, um, yeah. like the government. <laughs> and, and thanks for continuing that tradition by including me alongside Ian Anderson, the, yeah, yeah. the author of songs that turned into some of my favourite restaurant dishes. Yeah. <laughs> at Dunedin's. I didn't get to ask him about that. That is a real shame, Jamie, because Tull, may it rest in peace, was an absolute. Dunedin icon. I didn't go there. You never went. Never went. So for for listeners at home that are unfamiliar, Tull, which is now a yakitori bar in Bath Street, mm. um, was a, a Jethro Tull themed restaurant <laughs> where everything on the menu was a pun on a Jethro Tull song, and it was mainly really long sandwiches that came in flute, half flute, and piccolo sizes, <laughs> and they were called things like Bungle in the Jungle or. Um, you know, there was a pasta dish called Heavy Horses, that yeah. sort of thing. See, this is why I, I wanted to, but I just didn't have the background <laughs> knowledge of these things. And to... a, dessert, a dessert that if you finished it, you got a certificate. Oh, it was wow. amazing. Wow. No, Carnarvon Station will be always be my, my dream, you know, my, my biggest memories of Dunedin restaurants. It was amazing, eh? It was so good, sitting on that train. Inside a building. Yeah, mm. so good, so good. What happened to that building, Ed? Did the insurance people ever find out? I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> All right, Aaron, uh, you are standing for your second term on council, but you're also standing for the Merity again. I am indeed. Um, how did you find your first? Are you proud of your achievements? And what are your most, you know, proud achievements? I am proud of, of what we've done in the last three years. Um, I think working in, in local government has made me readjust my sense of time scale somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the campaign, the, the city's campaign to save our courthouse building was a huge achievement um, that, that, uh, that council led and coordinated. I think um, our, uh, our move to divest ourselves of the oil and gas of oil and gas uh, investments um, and committing to uh, taking climate action as a city, measuring and reporting and reducing our carbon footprint as a city, mm-hmm. uh, signing up to the Compact of Mayors, I think that was a huge achievement. Um, and uh, and I'm proud of uh, the work we've done in implementing Aratoi uh, Otapoti, our arts and culture strategy, which um, I've had a tangential relationship as an, as an agitator and annual plan submitter <laughs> um, in, in its early, early days, and, and it was good to be on the other side of the fence to not just sign that off, but start to put it into practice and um, and and see our creative community taken seriously, more seriously than it ever has been, I think, within our, our city council. So those are the three uh, things that immediately spring to mind. Mm-hmm. And, and none of those things are things that, quote-unquote, council has done. They're all um, city efforts um, yeah. and citywide campaigns, and so I think that's something that we can all take uh, collective pride in. Mm-hmm. Now, the city has seemed to move quite fast in terms... Well, I'm... Um, in terms of their environmental responsibilities, mm. in, in some ways, we've, they've implemented a lot of things over the years. The new recycling and, and rubbish collection is a lot better than it was um, even 15 years ago. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've made some big commitments. I think this term, um, and now it's 
uh, up to us to back that up. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to say we want to become a carbon neutral city, which is um, a, a fantastic goal. It's another thing to put that into action. Um, so I think one of the things um, that's important to me, uh, and one of the reasons that I'm that I'm running um, uh, in this election, is that I think the city generally is uh, is is on the right track. There's a lot mm-hmm. of. It's, I feel like it's a more positive place than it has been at any other time that I've lived here. Um, but I think that we need to put a greater emphasis on our environmental goals and put um, a little more uh, resourcing and investment into making those those uh, targets a reality because you know climate change isn't just the biggest issue of of our time it's the biggest issue of all time mm-hmm. and, and, and everything that we invest in um, uh, in our low carbon future as a city now uh, will pay off um, in a huge way further down the track so we need to think a longer term and, and I think this council and um, the previous one have started to shift towards a, a more future focused uh, yep. way of looking at things but um, we've got to press on and uh, in that direction I think and it's important that we don't um, go backwards and I think it's very important to be a leader in that way uh, in the country mm. um, so other councils and other areas can look upon us uh, for example uh, and leading them away because like New Zealand used to, uh, we used to we've we? lost that mm. in this nation and hopefully fast followers uh, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah uh, we could go on and on and on and on and on about that but um, I, th- I think um, Dunedin's doing really well in that regards and you've done quite well with yourself now the one I don't want to bring myself into this uh, conversation too much but I, I, I do remember I do recall talking to you early on uh, in your term or uh, even before you were standing we, we talked about the, the Green Island landfill and the Yes, uh, and and uh, you probably don't ever recall. Uh, and using have so many conversations about the Green Island landfill on the gas. It's hard to pinpoint exact ones. James, oh, and sorry. just the amount of uh, energy that is is uh, created by that gas. Mm. Um, I think it was something to power ten thousand homes or something like that. I think I recall. And and, and I talked to you about putting it back into the grid and and um, and offsetting some of the costs for for lower income houses uh, for the energy use in the city. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the challenge with the Green Island landfill is that it's only consented through until 2023, I think. Yeah. Um, so we have a fairly, um, you know, it's, a, it's fairly urgent that we um, decide what we are going to do with that. Um, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Um, I'm not a, an engineer and I don't pretend to know those sorts of things, but um, I'm, I'm certainly interested in, 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 in things like district heating and, mm-hmm. uh, and how collectively, whether that's uh, local businesses or, um, or homes locally, how we can um, make energy more efficient. And um, we have, the council has an energy plan in its, mm-hmm. in its first iteration, um, which uh, has huge potential, I think, both in terms of uh, supporting the development of, um, of low-carbon industries, but also um, making, making us more um, energy efficient as a city and bringing down the cost of living or the cost of doing business by supporting people into um, more, uh, more efficient and more renewable ways of, of, of doing what they do mm-hmm. so I think that's and that's a it's a great framework um, and that sits under um, the city's economic development uh, strategy but um, and, uh, but I think it needs again like a lot of these things great start um, needs more support well I see they're bringing back in the installation uh, which I'm gonna call it where um, you can put the cost of insulation on your rates yeah you can um, the the warm Dunedin scheme um, which uh, the uptake has been good, but almost 
Wow. The overwhelming majority of uh, of properties that have taken advantage of that scheme have been owner-occupied homes. Yeah. Um, we've had very little uptake from uh, landlords of rental properties, and I think uh, that's where we need to um, be looking at is, is um, making sure that uh, wherever possible, our tenants um, also have a warm, dry and healthy homes, which is why um, from a regulatory uh, framework, uh, something like a warrant, uh, rental warrant or fitness uh, is absolutely essential because yeah. you know, people shouldn't have to choose between uh, heating and eating um, and people shouldn't have to worry about um, you know, getting sick or their children getting sick because of, of where they live. You can't, you know, if, if you own a cafe, you can't uh, maintain it in a way that makes your customers sick, but as an accommodation provider, you don't have those sorts of um, of safeguards, which seems uh, which seems ridiculous. I mean, housing quality is one of our of our biggest challenges. We have, I think, um, eighteen thousand homes, um, according to a, a report that Presbyterian Support Otago did a couple of years ago, that are old, cold, and drafty, and mm-hmm. um, that's a, a fundamental um, challenge that we have um, to to improve uh, the law. Uh, of of people, particularly people who, uh, as, as I say, are in, are in rental accommodation and don't have the, I mean, why would I as a tenant want to invest in um, my landlord's property? I remember having great conversations with landlords past saying, can we get a heat pump, please? And he said, <laughs> yeah. I'll, go, I'll go halves with you. It's like, well, I'm only here until the end of the year. So, yeah. Well, the thing is, in Dunedin, we have five of the highest yielding, of the top ten highest yielding suburbs in terms of rent in the country number one is Brockville mm. so in terms of investment for, I mean in terms of the cost of the house for the landlord and what they're getting back in rent it's the highest yeah, in my, the nation yeah my understanding is that yeah, rent, rents here are maybe lower than they are in other parts uh, of, the, of the country but profits made by landlords yeah. are as high if not higher than oh, they're high. well yeah. like I said five of the top ten yeah. suburbs in the whole nation are in Dunedin so there's not really that much of an excuse like, it's not like you aren't making um, good off your property, and of course, most landlords they do they will have a mortgage, uh, you know, and this is paying mm. off their mortgage. Uh, but they're obviously be paying it off faster. Um, they've got lower rates in other areas of the country as well. So, uh, in terms of that, so and I think it's I think it's for because I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush. There are I've had fantastic landlords, um, and I think it's good for good landlords for there to be minimum standards yeah. because. You know, they're do- currently they're doing it because it's the right thing to do, and and, and all power to them. But um, it, it shouldn't be that uh, other other people have a competitive advantage over them because they're happy to rent out places that, that are squalid mm-hmm. for people mm-hmm. to get sick in. I mean, it's a it's a health issue. Um, it's a huge contributing factor to um, for children who end up in, in hospital in Dunedin. It's a so it makes it a. A challenge for our public health system. It's a challenge, obviously, for our social well-being. But it's it's bad for our local economy too, in terms of you know, lost days of work. Yep. As, as if you're off sick or your kids are off sick, and you know, I mean, it, it, it's it, it makes sense on every level um, for us to uh, take improving the quality of our housing more seriously. And, and it's it's one of the key uh, goals of of, of, of um, council social well-being strategy. And, and I think we need to. Uh, push on with that work too. Well, a couple of things that are kind of close to my heart. Um, the economy of, of the city. The city has 
over the last decade or so lost a lot of big employers mm. uh, and a, bi- a lot of big low skill employers and I know we're bringing in a lot of uh, high skilled employment our IT sector is, is doing quite well uh, in a few other areas as well but um, we haven't it seems to me attracted those low skill employers to the city and replacing those jobs we've lost at Hillside although a lot of those were very high skilled as well but um, you know at Cocoa Valley Freezing Works mm. and, uh, and, and a few other places like that. So what are we doing in terms of job creation for those who are the parents of our most vulnerable? Yeah, we can't expect everyone to just go off and make apps. Yeah, you know. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. And know, we can go yeah. on and on about our great job creation yep. in those areas, yep. but we need to make it in other areas too. And what are we doing for them? Yeah, um, I think it's important to do what we can to build uh, stronger communities in the city um, and I look to places like the Valley Project in the Northeast Valley who do a phenomenal amount of work in terms of uh, and that's not answering your question in a direct sense but it's, it's taking a bit of burden off well them, it's, it's what can we do in terms of um, building the support infrastructure and support networks in our communities so that people if they are um, between jobs or if they are um, semi-retired um, you know whether it's being able to get food from a community garden or there being a local workshop where you can get someone to help fix your bike or fix your car and, and those sorts of things that, that help relieve the stress of um, of living when you're in that situation. I mean, I think we are, it's a very interesting time in terms of what the future of work will look like. Um, particularly true. with um, you know with the age of, of, of automation and what that means for um, for as you say for, for blue collar workers and and um, that's very important and but it's I mean those bigger macroeconomic things are, are, are a challenge for council to influence um, I don't think I think we're about as likely for the age of of, of big manufacturing to return uh, to Dunedin a la the 20th century as as we are to see the gold rush of the 19th century return. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And, yeah. and and rather than focusing on, well, how do we find this one magic um, business that's going to employ 300 or 500 people, I think a, a, a more resilient approach is to help a couple of hundred businesses hire a couple of people each. Yeah. Um, but but I, 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 I certainly um, see that as a challenge, um, but I don't think... I mean, basically, the best thing council can do is uh, is invest uh, in cr- building a city that people want to live and work and set up business in, which means um, providing the kinds of services and infrastructure that people expect in the 21st century, which is uh, safer cycling, uh, a better bus service, uh, parks and reserves, sports grounds, museums, galleries. I mean, you know, the, what, you talk to the university and they'll say that when they're trying to recruit um, staff from overseas, one of the first questions they get asked is, can I bike to work? What is your public transport system like? What is there for my kids to do? I mean, we can't compete uh, internationally on wages, no. um, but we can compete internationally on, on quality of life and I think that's the, the, the best role that council can play is um, creating the conditions that people um, want to do business in but, but that longer term um, the longer term challenges around uh, around the nature of uh, and the future of work uh, is something that we do need to be conscious of um, and um, supporting um, community groups and, and, and neighbourhood groups um, to better support each other um, is, is one of the um, one of the, the most effective mechanisms I think that we can um, we can invest in in the short to medium term. 
Alright, as a good South Dunedin boy that I am, mm. yeah, no, Tainui for life. Love it, Mum's still there. The city's lowest point. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Uh, and and, and it's, physically, geographically, I mean. Oh, I used yep. to dig in the backyard and find water. I did, I did. Mm. Sand under the house still. Mm. It's it's there, you know. Again, Gordon and Mum are there right now. You can bring them up and ask. Uh, but you know, of course, it's going to be a big topic uh, in this election, and it's uh, going to be a big topic for a long time in terms of climate change, sea level rises, water table rises. Mm. Um, what could you know? In in a way, it's kind of too late. Uh, to reverse what is actually probably going to happen in the medium term time there is going to be some rise and we're going to have to live with that mm. um, we can mitigate how high it will eventually get but there is going to be rise and mm. that will affect low lying areas such as South Dunedin and Tain- especially Tainui, my beloved Tainui um, so what do we do? I mean where do we go f- what do we create? Do we create uh, some kind of system like they have in uh, the Netherlands? I don't know exactly what the kind of system is. And you were saying before you're not an engineer, so mm-hmm. you probably can't help in those ways. Um, but what do we do about South Dunedin and other low-lying areas of the city? Yeah, so there are a couple of things um, in terms of uh, adapting to a changing climate. Uh, one is uh, the provision of, of stormwater and what the capacity of your stormwater system is. Um, and, and and to what degree um, you want to invest in the capacity of that system. Um, I don't think um, what we know is that a, a less stable climate means that we will see more extreme weather events, mm-hmm. um, you know, droughts and intense rains. Um, and I don't think we'll ever get to a point where, I mean, you could, I suppose, um, build something that has the capacity to make sure that nothing ever flooded ever. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I, I, I would assume that that would be prohibitively expensive. So, but, but that doesn't mean that we should it, and we have um, committed to uh, accelerating uh, renewals and upgrades of um, of the stormwater system, and and, and I'd con- continue to support that. That's part, that's one part of it. Um, but I mean, the other part is when people talk about uh, engineering solutions. I mean, like you said, I'm I'm not an engineer. I think um, the the issues with sea level rise uh, and groundwater rising um, they're not challenges. We don't need to find the answer tomorrow, um, but we do need to have started the conversation yesterday. And, mm. I, and I think that one of the things that we've been perhaps a little um, slack on is, is, is having that conversation with the, with the community. I and mean, I think it would be irresponsible from a, a governance point of view to rule out or rule in uh, anything. I mean, people talk about canals and dams and wetlands and pumping stations and, and all those sorts of things and, and, and all of those should be part of that conversation. I don't think you can you can rule that out but um, anybody who professes to have the, the magic bullet yeah. to fixing this problem I would be quite wary of. Um, but that's but as you say um, the most uh, well you didn't but you know you might have, you might as well have but one of the most effective things that we can do from an adaptation point of view is um, be more active in, in mitigating those impacts so we have to do both of those things uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a that's a big um, medium term challenge. And as you say, people who live uh, live on the flat, this is not a surprise. Yeah, I mean the the high tides have been visible in, down the back garden for time immemorial. Yeah. Well, you know since since reclamation, it doesn't and, take much rain to flood our backyard. <laughs> no, 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 no. And that's and that was one of the challenges of um, uh, of the flooding event last June was that there already was um, a lot of rain in the ground. Um, so you lose what so that what little capacity that had to absorb it was was gone from mm-hmm. the beginning. But um, yeah, it's um, 
it's very close to the to the water table and and you know there are all sorts of questions around salination and what happens when um, salt water gets into your um, garden and what that means for people's ability to sustain themselves and feed themselves mm. and it, it's it's a very it's a complex problem uh, and a huge challenge and, and not just in uh, not just on the flat, although that's the most densely populated area, but you know, on the parts of the north coast and the floodplains on the Taiori. I mean, these are oh yeah, of th- course. These are these are big challenges citywide. And oh, you go down the Sinclair wetlands; it's not going to. I mean, that's it's salt water, like that's straight directed um, to the sea. So right. That, yeah, if you know what I mean. So, mm. so those areas are in trouble too. Yeah. Um, the former Lake Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Now a fine community recreation asset. Yeah, very much so. And then you, could, it, we've all seen it flood very easily over time. You know, so um, it, it's a it's a big issue um, for the city, and it's a big issue for cities all around the world. Mm. Um, and maybe you know that's the thing that we need to do. We can look at other communities that are having the same the same issue and the same conversations, um, and, and working with other communities, not just in New Zealand but around the world, to coming up with solutions for our city. Yeah, we're not we're certainly not alone in this uh, in this challenge. Coastal communities and um, coastal cities ev- everywhere everywhere are <laughs> facing these challenges. I mean, yeah, but. Yeah, the unique, uh, the slightly unique nature of, uh, well, the combination of the the dense uh, population in South Dunedin and its close proximity to um, to the water table is um, makes it more pronounced here than it is in many places. Yeah. Indeed, indeed, um, and you know it's a it's a wonderful part of town. So um, we really want to do something to, about it. To be honest, uh, just just quickly because we we are running out of time. I know that the cycle. I, I want to know what you want to do with the cycleway because I know it's something that was very close to your heart. Mm. Uh, and the rollout has been terrible. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no one's uh, arguing. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, and the people's confidence is at all time low. Sure. Um, what are we going to do to bring that confidence back up, and how are we going to get this thing back on track? Well, I think safer cycling is core infrastructure in a 21st century city. So. Uh, yeah, no one's arguing that the rollout of the South Dunedin cycle network was wasn't a balls up. Oh, mum um, hates it. Mum hates it. Yeah, but you, but what you but you wouldn't say say we were doing some laying drains somewhere and and we stuffed up the laying of drains. Nobody would argue that you should stop laying drains forever, uh, but that seems to be um, an argument that is mounted. So, um, I, I think we need to commit to um, stay committed to the the, the strategic cycle network, um, uh, particularly the. North Northern route, um, which comes in through Northeast Valley through the campus and into the CBD, mm-hmm. uh, and also the the Mosgiel route via the Cavisham and Chain Hills Tunnel. I think that will be um, hugely beneficial. Uh, but uh, uh, my view has always been that the focus should be on um, separated or at least uh, safer routes al- um, along direct uh, commuter routes um, and that will tie in with the work that NZTA are doing with the, um, the separated cycleways along the one-way pier the state highway system and eventually um, finishing the route uh, on state highway 88 through to Port Chalmers I mean I don't think people really understand and it's one of them there aren't too many universally loved cycling projects in the yeah. world Jamie Green but <laughs> yeah. um, the, the the path from Port Chalmers to Portobello is going to be a, a world-class oh, asset yeah. you know stop off, stop off Emerson's along the way, P- mm-hmm. perfect reviver, mm-hmm. um, and 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 when when that is done, uh, and and when we have 
you know, safer commuter routes, direct commuter routes where people have the confidence to be able to cycle more, I think we'll really see um, uh, see those investments start to pay off. So um, to borrow a, a, a military term, um, hold the line, no. I think. It's um, not just a military term, mate. It's a great song. Well, it's an international, I mean, it, and it's an international phenomenon. They call it bike lash. Um, the, the 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 negative the negative response to investing in cycling infrastructure, um, but uh, it's essential uh, for the future of, of the city, and um, we need to press on with that. I think. Well, I mean, as you were saying before, if, you know, with young innovative um, employment uh, comes people. Um, young innovative people and those people tend to like to, uh, are really into things like um, clean energy and cycling right. and, and, and whatnot. I mean not everybody is but it, you, yeah and, but and younger people so are getting the, getting their driver's licenses later if at all when I, mean, I got my learners last Christmas and let's be honest the bus is, <laughs> the, the, yeah, what you, you got it yeah, I did, yeah. yes that's amazing I'm now I unfortunately can't uh, my arm my arm isn't um, particularly up to moving a guest. Oh, yeah, yet, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, baby steps. Cars don't drive like tractors, though. I remember that. <laughs> the tyre pressure is very different. <laughs> it is. But, um, you know, if we want to um, if we want to attract innovative um, young people, we've got to give them the, serv- the things that they um, they want in a city. So Absolutely. Things like that are very important. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Hey, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I really appreciate it. Thanks, yeah, Jamie. No, you're more than welcome. Um, good luck. Thank you. With the campaign. Oh, well, what I should say is... If, um, Let's not remember, it's, it's not just you. It's no, on your ticket. The, um, uh, there is a polling booth on campus. I know this has been um, something that people have talked about doing for a long time, but if, if people haven't received their voting papers, oh, uh, you, can still, uh, you, you can still register and vote right up until uh, the 7th of October, uh, and there'll be a polling booth in the link here at the university all day on Thursday. Uh, if people... One uh, day. Uh, yeah, it, move, it moves. It's moving around. It's at the Port Chalmers Library oh, on Friday, yeah. and I think next week, uh, a couple of days at the Mosgiel Library, and a couple of days at Grey Power in South Dunedin. Um, but uh, here at the university, it will be camped up in the link for uh, for all day on Thursday. So um, no excuses uh, yeah. for not um, having your say in the future direction of the city that you call home. That's right, that's right. Whether it's home for three years or for um, all of your life, it's very important to have your say. Once again, Aaron, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, good luck. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've already voted. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for, but um, it was... A As liberate, is your right. It was a fantastic... I love voting. It's uh, right up there with doing the census for me. All right. It's, oh, I love the census. It's not the same online, though, I've got to yeah, say. The yeah. paper, bring back the paper form. Yeah, as true. unwieldy as that is. Uh, it's true, but bring back uh, online voting. Uh, we'll start online voting, please. So, um, you know, we can get those younger people clicking the button instead of moving their...